Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. so much for your giving. Uh, How many are glad to be in God's house today? Anybody glad to be here? I'm glad that you're here. It's great to have Brandon and Courtney Pritchard all the way from Logan County. They attend uh, my brother's church. And if you want to see a basketball player, this dude right here, he's one of those guys that when he shoots a jump shot, the bottom of his feet's about right there. He's like, whoop. Throwing it down with two hands. The dude could play ball. Great to have you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Bethesda, would you let them know that you appreciate them being here? Um, We've been in a series um, over the last couple of weeks entitled Money Talks. Everybody say Money Talks. Uh, You guys know the drill. Once a year I, I do a series on this topic because God has so much to say about possessions and about money. And so we kick the series off by asking the question, who do you trust? Who do you trust? And then last week we talked about the treasure test, that God tests us when it comes to money. Now, some of you are going to be real thankful to know that we are closing the series out today, all right? This is the last message in this series, and I want to, I want to talk to you about the connection between tithes and offerings, A lot of people get this confused. They think tithe and offering is the same thing. They are not the same thing. Uh, They're totally different. And so we're going to look at the connection between the two. And if you would, just go with me to Malachi chapter number three. We have the notes for you in the Bethesda app. We're going to have it on the screen as well. A lot of different ways for you to follow along. Malachi chapter three, starting in verse number six. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The first thing I want you to notice about this passage of Scripture is that God is directing this message to covenant people. These are not people outside of covenant. These are people who are in covenant with God. He's talking to people that are in relationship with him. And covenant is a beautiful thing in scripture. 
Because covenant, if I come to you in covenant, what I'm saying is, is what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. We, there's a mutual exchange anytime we see a covenant from a biblical or godly perspective. Now, a couple of things we need to understand about covenant is not only is it a beautiful thing, but covenant, you can only have two covenants. We can have a covenant with God and we can have a covenant with our spouse. That's it. That's the only two covenants we have. And all the men, you understand covenant, right? All the men really understand this because what that means is what's yours is hers and what's hers is hers. Right? Come on, can I get a witness? You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but covenant is a beautiful thing, and we have a covenant with God, and I'm just kidding, ladies. I'm just kidding. Uh, not really. But we know there's a mutual exchange. I got to move on. I got to move on. I'm going to get stuck here. Um, but there's a mutual exchange when there's a covenant. And we only have two covenants in life. We have a covenant with God and we have a covenant with our spouse. Men and women understand your spouse. I, I, let me just, I don't know why I'm saying this. I just got to say it. Your spouse is more important than your children. You know why a lot of marriages are failing? Because moms and dads many times make the kids more important than the one they, they went into covenant with. You're not in covenant with your kids. You're in covenant with your spouse. That ought to help somebody. Your kids are not as important as your spouse. They're very important, but you're not in covenant with them. You're in covenant with your spouse. I'm going to move on. The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and it is the last thing God would say for 400 years. So after God gets done speaking to the prophet Malachi, he goes silent for 400 years. Now, how many of you would think if God's going to go silent for about 400 years that what the last thing he said is probably important? It's, it's probably really important. If he's going to be quiet for 400 years, and, and this is the last thing he's going to talk to us about, we probably need to pay attention to whatever it is God is trying to communicate. And it tells me that um, the book of Malachi ends by God speaking about the tithe and offerings. Now, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said there's three conversions uh, for a believer. You got, you got to have the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the pocketbook. And of these three, the pocketbook is the most difficult. Uh, that was a statement that he made. And so in this message, what, what I want to do is to bring some clarity concerning tithes and offerings because they are not the same. We understand this morning, I hope we understand, that the tithe belongs to God. It's already his. We're not giving God anything. We're not being generous when we tithe. We're, we're not doing anybody any favors. God says the first 10% of our increase, of our payday, of, of money coming in our direction, God has already laid claim and put his name on the first 10%. It belongs to him. He says it's mine. That's the tithe. And here in Malachi, God is having this conversation with covenant people. Uh, and he says in verse 7, he says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And God says, return to me and I will return to you. And they're asking, God, how are we supposed to do that? 
Like you want us to return, but how, how do we do? In other words, they felt like they were doing everything they needed to do. And it's a lot like the church is today. A lot of times we think we're doing everything that we know to do. We come to church. We're in a group. We, we listen to Pastor Chad. Uh, we even say amen every once in a while. We sing the songs. We might lift our hands. We're, we've checked the boxes. We're, we're doing everything we know to do, God. And, but God says in verse 8, he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask how are we robbing you? And God answers in tithe. And, and I love this because God didn't waste any time. He wasn't worried about sugarcoating the message so that they could handle, you know, that they're being called thieves and robbers right now or how they're going to be offended. God is not, not, not worried about any of that. He said, you are robbing me in tithe and in offering." God asks the question and he answers it before they can reply. He's speaking to them about their finances, about their possessions. And he says, you've robbed me in tithe and offerings. And so we have to understand there's a connection between the tithe and the offering. In the previous verse, God says, you're going to return to me by returning and bringing the tithe and the offering. And, and I want you to get this. They're disconnected from God, and God is saying, I want you to return to me. And it's not that they've committed adultery. It's not that they were in gossip. It's not that they had lied. It's not uh, that they were serving a false God. He was saying, you're disconnected, and you need to return to me because you have robbed me in tithe and offering. All right? He's got their attention. Okay, he's got their attention. And here's the first point I want to give to you this morning. There is a major difference between tithes and offering. The tithe literally means tenth. The first 10% of my increase, God says, it's mine. Whether I make $500 a month or $500,000 a month, I'll take that. Amen. Come on, somebody. $500,000 a month. The first 10%, God says, is mine, that I bring it to the place that I am being spiritually fed, the place that I am connected to locally. And so God has declared the 10% belongs to him. We are to live off of the 90%. And so some of you may be asking, well, what's the offering? The offering is, the tithe belongs to God, but the offering is my gift to God. It's anything that I give in addition to the tithe. So once I've brought the tithe, if I take a name off the angel tree and I meet that need, that is an offering. That is my gift to God to meet that need. If I go buy somebody Thanksgiving Day dinner, that, that is an offering. If I say, you know, for Christmas Eve, I want to sow into church planting and revitalization through Bethesda Church. I want to go above the tithe and I'm going to give something in addition to the tithe. That is an offering. That is now your gift to God. Generosity does not begin until after we've brought the 10%. Generosity begins at 11. So when you bring the tithe, you brought the first 10% of your increase, you're not generous yet. God says, that's mine. If you want to be generous, you got to go above the first 10%. Now, I've heard over the years a lot of people say things like, uh, I can't afford to tithe. I just can't afford to do that. If I ever make more money, I'll start tithing. 
but but here's the thing: if you can't live off a hundred percent, you you would like what why what what makes you think you could live off? Uh, or if you can't do off ninety percent, what makes you think you could live off a hundred? And a lot of times, what we do is we lie to ourselves. We we tell ourselves. Um, if I make more money, then I'll do it. Well, God says, if you can't be faithful over a little, I'll never entrust you with a lot. So it's not about one day when I come into mine, now I'm faithful. I got to be faithful with the little. I got to be faithful where I'm at. So tithing and, and offerings are not the same. Second thing is, is tithing was not instituted under the law. Because anytime you teach on tithe and offerings, you'll always have somebody say, that's Old Testament, Old Covenant, that's law. No, you are wrong. The tithe was not instituted under the law. The tithe predates the law. Abraham brought tithe to God not because it was part of the law. He didn't bring it out of obligation. He brought it out of revelation before there was a law. And so tithing is not a law either. And it's not something I bring out of obligation. It's something I bring out of revelation. And, and just, just so we're all on the same page, the other thing we need to understand, if it was law, you need to understand Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And Jesus actually raised the bar uh, under the new covenant. It's not a lower standard in the new covenant. It's a higher standard in the new covenant. In the, in the law, he said, if you commit adultery, it's wrong. But in the new covenant, it's not the physical act of adultery. It's if you look at a person with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. In the Old Testament, it was if you murdered somebody, the physical act of murder. In the New Testament, if you hate your brother, you have already murdered. Jesus did not lower the bar. He actually raised the bar in the new covenant. Anybody understand what I'm saying this morning? He raised the bar. He didn't lower it. The tithe ought to be the beginning place. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you should tithe. So Jesus, in the new covenant, emphasized, you should tithe. This is something, you, hit your neighbor and say, you should. We, we, we want to argue this point. We want to argue this principle. And you know what it is? At the end of the day, when it comes to money, when we struggle to bring to God what belongs to him, let's just call it what it, it's greed. We're stingy. We, 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 we want to live closed-handed instead of open-handed. Not understanding that we are people of the covenant. We are, we are in relationship with God, which means if he wanted everything you made, you should be willing. Is he going to ask me for everything, Pastor? I don't know. He might. But the 10% should be an easy thing. And it should not be looked at as a hassle. Some of us, we want to bring the, the first 10% and act like we're, you know, it's a, like the water bill. Like mon power. And the car payment. And the mortgage. And, 
You know, we just treat it like some common, it's not a common bill. It, it is a holy thing. That it is a reminder every time you bring the tithe, it's a reminder to God and to you. I'm not saying God needs a reminder, but it's a reminder to all parties involved that I'm in a covenant relationship and the promises of God are yes and amen. That when I'm faithful and obedient in this area, it's the area where you say you will throw open the floodgates of heaven and you will pour out a blessing in my life that that I don't have room enough to store. Why would God give me more than what I can handle? Because it's time for the body of Christ to grow up and mature and, and realize it's not just about what we get out of it, but we are blessed not to be blessed. We're blessed to be a blessing. I need a little more help than that, 11 o'clock. You had time to drink a bang, a monster, a Red Bull, and a coffee. Come on, hit somebody and say, wake up. Now watch this, watch Malachi 3.9. He says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Now, when, when we are cursed, it's always connected. The curse is always connected to disobedience. I, no matter how you slice it, the curse is connected to disobedience. And when we rob God of the tithe and offerings, and we're not faithful in that, we position ourselves to where we become unblessable. We are choosing to live in the curse. Why do you think God told the, his people, like, choose you this day who, who you're going to serve? Choose life and not death. Choose blessing and not cursing. Do you know you get the power to choose whether you live in the curse or in the blessing? It's up to you. I, I presented before you life and death. Choose. Pick. In Leviticus 26, it says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands and you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, there's the word covenant again, then I will do this to you. I will bring, you, bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. That last line of that verse wrecked me this week. You will plant seed in vain because your enemy will eat it. Everything in the kingdom starts in seed form. And what he's saying is that when we live in disobedience, even if we sow seed, we'll, we won't see the harvest because the enemy will eat our seed. But there's something about obedience and planting of seeds that the enemy can't stop. How many know that the enemy cannot curse what God has already decided to bless? The enemy can't stop or curse what God has already determined to bless. And so Abraham, who had this revelation of tithing, was a man of covenant. And when you look at Abraham's life, and, and I need you to, to, to get out of church mode for just a minute, but Abraham was kind of like Bill Gates. He was wealthy. I mean, stupid rich. Are y'all here? But he was a man of covenant. He was a man who brought tithe to God out of revelation. He had, he had so much stuff, he didn't know what to do with it. God blessed him. But Psalm 50 verse 5 says, covenant is made 
through or by sacrifice. The reason you have a relationship with God is because Jesus sacrificed himself. Covenant is obtainable because Jesus made a sacrifice. But, But just as Jesus made a sacrifice, that initial moment of salvation, that turning away of sin to follow Jesus, how many of you understand now, if you've served God for any length of time at all, that not only did Jesus make a sacrifice, but to follow God and to live an obedient life is gonna require sacrifice on your part. This is the part of the gospel we don't like because we want to say a prayer and everything's good. But you can say a prayer and still live in disobedience. You can mumble a few words and still rob, the, rob God of the tithe and the offering. And so it's, it's the covenant takes place through sacrifice. And following Jesus, if you're going to follow him, it's going to cost you something. There's a reason why it says, pick up your cross and follow me. It means it's not, it's not always easy. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Is it easy? No. Because you have to deny yourself, right? Is this the gospel? You got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. And, and do what he's asking you to do. And so it involves sacrifice. Now, there are four rewards to the tithe. We'll hit these real quick. Not going to spend a lot of time. Number one, he says there will be meat in God's house. This means there will be no lack of money to carry out God's work. No lack of money to carry out God's work. It means that everything God has called the local church to do can be accomplished when we're all faithful and obedient in tithe and offerings. It means there'll be no shortage for the vision that everything God desires can be accomplished. He says, secondly, the windows of heaven will be open and God will pour out a blessing that we don't have room enough to receive. In other words, we step into the overflow. And that's important because as you mature in your relationship with God, it's not just about you. God wants to work through you. God wants to work through you. You are blessed to be a blessing. And, and it's better to give than it is to receive. And I want you to be givers. I don't want everybody I pastor to have their hand out all the time. I want, some, I want this place to be full of people saying, Pastor, who can we bless? Uh, y'all got to get on board with that. I need a little more help than that. Come on, church. Who are we going to bless this week? What need are we going to meet this week? You know, how are we going to be generous this week? I remember many, many years ago, we used to have to do, and now you look around and you think, wow, this place is awesome. What an amazing building. And it's true. Great thing. God has, how many of God has blessed us, right? But I remember the days when we had to sell hot dogs and peanut butter eggs to pay the bills. And I remember one day, I was in prayer, and and God spoke to my heart, and he said, stop all the fundraisers. And I was like, well, Lord, we need a projector. We need to pay the light bill. God, the the money is just not there. We need, you know, what about student ministry and children's ministry? And we were doing so many, and I'm telling you, we had people, my wife, I mean, we had people working tirelessly to to 
spaghetti dinners and peanut butter eggs. And those peanut butter eggs, I'm telling you what, give me a big glass of milk and one of those. Man, I felt like I had died and went to heaven, right? It was that good. And I remember when the Lord said, stop it. If you'll teach the people what I've said about tithe and offering, you should never have to do a fundraiser ever again. That was more than 10 years ago. And we didn't build this building. We don't reach all these people. We don't do what we're called to do because we got peanut butter eggs for sale, and that's how we do it. We do it because people have been faithful and obedient and consistently brought that which God has blessed them with, and we're able to do all that we're able to do simply through people's faithfulness and obedience. And that's, that is actually God's design. That's how God has designed it. Now, I could talk to you this morning about living in the, in the overflow uh, we've been able to bless so many people this year through our outreach efforts, um, the Family, family Refuge Center, uh, college and military care packages, local food needs, the Tabor uh, Towers, the Alderson Manor, the homeless bags that we've sent out, snacks uh, for the Neola youth, Greenbrier Valley um, that we've blessed, the Crichton Elementary, Eastern Greenbrier uh, Middle School. We worked uh, alongside of them to uh, bring uh, students information and education about substance abuse, community in schools, dialysis bags, children's home society. I could go on and on. Frankfurt Elementary, gloves uh, for goodness, blessing boxes, first responder baskets, Mountaineer Food Bank, uh, Christmas for Amy Baker, Operation Christmas Child Boxes. We've been able to bless, over, just in our region, over 1,500 people through outreach because you've been faithful... Isn't that awesome that we don't just have to say, you know, we need help to pay this or to pay that, but we, we get to bless. And that's not counting what we've done in Peru and in Israel and around the world through the church of God, through what we send in on a monthly. Let's give God praise for the ability to be able to bless our world. It's not just about us being blessed, but we're able to bless our world. He says, the third thing, he says, I'll rebuke the devourer so that he will not destroy your crops. And I'm going to come back to that one in a second. And the fourth thing, he said, there will be recognition of God's blessing by all men. In other words, people are going to take notice that you're blessed. They're going to, they're going to know God's hand is on you. They're going to see the blessing and they're going to connect the dots. You ain't that smart. You ain't that good. That had to be God's favor and blessing on your life. It had to be God that did it. The tithe and offering thing must be revealed to you because tithing is about revelation and about covenant. We bring it to the storehouse. I don't have time to, to go through all this. The storehouse is the place where we are spiritually fed. It's the place where the gospel is preached. It's the place where ministry is done. 
The tithe was brought in the Old Testament for to take care of the priesthood and for the work of the ministry to go forward. The same is true in the New Covenant. It's to take care of, of the pastors and the administration and all the employees here, but it's also to make sure the gospel is preached, marriages are put back together, addictions are broken, outreach endeavors are accomplished. That And, and here's, here's the, the thing we got to understand. If you're a tither and a giver, every single person that comes to Jesus, which is about 200 this year in 2022, that has come to faith in Jesus Christ, every person that comes to Christ, if you're a tither, you're a part of that. Every marriage that's put back together, you're a part of it. Every addiction that's broken, you're a part of it. Every student that receives Christ, you're a part of it. Everything that we do, if you're a faithful tither and giver, you are a part of what God is doing in the lives of people. You're a part of it. So we enter covenant with God, but partnership with the ministry. And so God challenged his people. He said, I want you to return to me. And then he said, I w- Here, here's what I want you to do. Prove me. How I many, when God says prove me, that's a big deal. Prove me, test me, and see what I'll do. Some of us that are on the fence on tithing, you shouldn't need anything more than God saying, test me. That ought to be enough that I'm going to test him and I'm going to bring the first 10% of all my increase to him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to test him in that. In verse 11, Malachi 3, he said, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. It's the only place in the scripture where God says, I will rebuke the enemy on your behalf. Everywhere else in scripture, it's up to you and I to rebuke the enemy using God's name. But God says when you're a tither and a giver, he said, I myself, I will come and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. The word devourer can be translated as seed eater. God says, I will show up and rebuke whatever's eating your seed. And I'll do it on your behalf. You won't have to do it in my name because you're a covenant people and you have covenant promises. And when you're faithful in this area, I will show up and tell. And it's translated, the word rebuke literally means stop it. That's enough. You need, to, you need to envision God speaking on your behalf because you're faithful in tithe and offering telling your enemies, stop it. That's enough. God says, that's what I'll do, but you got to test me in this area. I'll stand between your seed and what's eating your seed, and I'll command them to stop it. But that's enough. According to Leviticus 26, when we break covenant with God, we sow our seed in vain. Why? Because when we're, when we're disobedient and we sow seed, the enemy eats our seed. We, we can't get anything in the ground. The enemy eats our seed and we're unable to get anything in the ground. Therefore, we don't often see the harvest that we want to see. We have to change that. How do we change that? By bringing to God what belongs to him, which is the tithe. And then whatever we do above the tithe, do you know that is seed that God multiplies back into your life? 
And I, I know we want to sanctify this. I, I talked to a pastor this, this week on Friday, and Karen and I are going to be speaking at a church down in Florida, and they're doing a whole month on increase. And he, he got me on the phone, and he said, he said, Chad, we're not going to sanctify the word increase. I was like, at first, like, what's he mean by sanctify? Why are we not going to sanctify the word increase? He said, because a lot of times when we get in this arena, in this area, and we talk about money with people, we want to sanctify the word increase and what God wants to do. And, and so we end up just talking about, he wants to increase you in joy, and he wants to increase you in peace, and he wants to increase, and all of that's true. He said, but we don't want to mince words about it. We want people to know that God wants to increase them financially. How many believe that God's will is for you to increase financially? I need a little help. Come on, don't. I grew up in church where they taught you that you're poor and you need to be poor and you need to stay poor. And that if you were, you were holy. So we were holy, we were just broke. We were holy, but we couldn't help anybody. I'm looking for a church, I'm looking for people that can launch businesses, entrepreneurs that will bring in millions of dollars, that understand that God has blessed them, not just for them to enjoy what God has blessed them with, but to finance kingdom work all around the world. I need a little help right there if you are in agreement with that today. Now, I'm going I'm to try to try to get to where I'm going. I, I see what time it is. Are you guys good? Okay, y'all are good. Um, in the kingdom, seed time and harvest is vital. Um, Genesis 1 and 12 says, and the earth brought forth grass, herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Genesis 8.22 says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Everybody say seed time and harvest. So important. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat. We felt the cold this morning, did we not? Cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. These verses tell us that there will always be sowing and reaping. That God is going to bring us, this is some of the things God is dealing with me about. He's going to bring us into a time of not seed, time, and harvest, kind of spread out, but he's going to bring us into a place of seed, time, harvest altogether. And what I mean by that is that you're not going to know whether it's seed or harvest because it's, it's going to be happening simultaneously. That no quicker than you can sow the seed, the harvest is here. And you're going to be confused. Is this seed or harvest? Because God is, the harvest is actually going to overtake your seed. The, the, the Bible talks about the, the, the reaper overtaking the sower. Uh, so important to understand that we live in the kingdom uh, as believers. And we can produce things that the world cannot produce because we are in covenant with God. You have, man, you have an advantage. As covenant people, you have an advantage on people who are not covenant, in covenant with God. You, you, you have an advantage uh, because you know God. Proverbs 11, 24, 25 says, those, there are those who generously scatter abroad and yet they increase more. 
So how do you take seed and you, you take your fine and you scatter it, but you increase? Because sowing and reaping works. There are those who withhold more than is, than is fitting or what is justly due, but it results only in want or poverty. The liberal person shall be enriched, and he who waters shall himself be watered. Galatians 6 teaches us the concept. It tells us in verse 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. A lot of people take the sowing and reaping concept and they only look at it in a negative. You better watch out. You're going to reap what you sow. And I believe it is true in the negative. But how many know it's true in the positive? We get so focused on you're going to reap what you sow, and, and it's like bad stuff. You know, we, we want people to know they're going to get a bad harvest because they're bad. But the same is true if you do good things and you sow the right things, God's promises there is a harvest on it of positive things, because every seed produces fruit. Every seed planted will come to maturity. It will produce a harvest. If you are not a tither, what that means is, is that the enemy is eating up all your seed. And until you can get seed in the ground, you can't expect a harvest. That's how the tithe and the offerings are connected. I bring the tithe, it belongs to God, and he says, now I'll stand between your seed and the one who wants to eat your seed and command them, stop it, that's enough. So everything I give in addition to the tithe is now multiplied. Now watch this. Your seed blesses others, but the harvest blesses you. The harvest blesses you. As the worship team comes, I want to share this last Bible story with you from 1 Kings chapter number 17. And it's a story that many of you have heard. It's when the prophet Elijah, he goes to minister to this widow. And this widow is in really bad shape, in such bad shape that she says, all we have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And she tells the prophet, I'm going to bake us a cake and me and my son, we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. There's no vision for the future. There's no concept of tomorrow. It's we're going to eat this last cake, and we're going to die. And the prophet Elijah, he did something extremely uh, unconventional because he, he said, before you bake the cake, and you, you and your son, you eat it and you die, I want you to bake me one first. Now, can you imagine how that would read in the newspaper in today's culture? Pastor Chad Dingus of Bethesda Church, lead pastor, went to a widow. She had one cake left, and he said, give me the cake. How many know I'm going to be looked at very negatively? It seemed unkind. It seemed, why would he take the last of what a widow had and request that she bless him first? Why, what, what, what would cause him 
to do that. And we look at this story, and the Bible says that she obeyed, and she baked him a cake first. And what you realize from the story is that she didn't have a whole lot, but the answer to what she needed was already in her hand. So many times we're looking around like for something that, for an answer, and God is saying the answer is already in your hand. It's already there because it's not always the quantity of what we give, it's the quality of what we give. So she blessed Elijah with a cake first, and the Bible says, because she obeyed one word from God, this story teaches us that one word from God can sustain you for years because she obeyed that one word from God that they were sustained for two years, that every single day there was more flour and more oil and sustained them all the way until the famine was over. You say, well, well, pastor, why in the world when, when the miracle came, when she gave Elijah a cake first, why didn't God just give him barrels of flour and barrels of oil on day one? Because God knows if he did that, you would put your trust in the barrel instead of the one who filled the barrel. That's why it says, give us this day our daily bread. It's why the manna fell out of heaven fresh every single day. God's saying, we don't put our trust in horses and chariots, but we we put our trust in the name of the Lord. This story teaches us how to possess our possessions because at first she said, we're going to eat it closed-fisted and we're going to die. But then she opened them. The answer's already in your hands. She opened, God can't put more in your hands as long as you live with your hands closed. As long as you continue to hold on to what you have now, you are not positioned for what God has for you tomorrow. This story teaches us how to possess our possessions. It teaches us how to prepare for our future. I'm going to bake a cake and die. But she decided, you know what? It's bad. I might as well go ahead and give it to the prophet. Two years later, they're still eating on it. Still living on it. Still seeing God move. Story teaches us how to put God first, how to trust God. Every time God deals with, with Pastor Karen and myself about a seed, I'm not one of these people who like, oh no, we got to give this amount. I heard the Lord. Every time he has ever dealt with us about something to give above, we don't pray about the tithe. That's just a done deal. If you're still praying about the tithe, you got some growing to do. You don't pray about the tithe. That's God's. But when he speaks to you about doing something above that, you can pray about it. But I don't get discouraged when God speaks to me about doing something in addition to the tithe because not only do I have I witnessed and experienced when we give above that, the blessing that happens to where that money's going. But I'm, I promise you, God has multiplied every seed we've ever sown in our lives back into our lives, and we have truly lived under an open heaven because every seed planted, your seed blesses others, but the harvest blesses you. Anybody know that the Word of God is true today? Anybody believe that today? If you know that's true, stand to your feet. Come on, take about 10 seconds and give God some praise for His Word today.
Some of y'all are like, I'm just glad that series is done. This series will change your life if you put it to practice. It'll change your life. It'll change your family. I'm so tired of hearing about generational curses. I'm so excited about generational blessing. Generational blessing. Your kids are going to go further than you did. And you should celebrate that. You should want that. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. No one looking around for a couple of minutes. I've been talking for the last couple of weeks about a Christmas Eve offering. You don't have to wait until Christmas Eve service to give it. We have a tab online. You can go ahead and give it. You can write it in a memo of a check. But how many of you would say today, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, that the Holy Spirit's already told you what to give towards that? Raise your hands. Okay, I see a lot of hands going up. God's already told you what to give towards that. Uh, How many of you would say, Pastor, I don't know exactly what we're going to do yet, but I am praying about what to do. Would you raise your hand? All right. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, just obey God. It's not the quantity of what you give. It's the quality of what you give. And it's about obedience. For some, $100 is a big sacrifice. For some, it would take 10000 for it to even be a sacrifice. It's not about the amount. It's not equal amounts. I get that. But we want to be obedient to God and do what he's called us to do. And I believe that you're going to do that. And we're going to be blessing churches that are being planted and those that are trying to revitalize churches so that they can reach their, their communities. We're going to be blessing them. Um, and so just, just be in prayer about that. The second follow-up question is for those um, that are in this room that are not in covenant with God, you're not in relationship with God. And the truth is, is that you have sin in your life that needs to be repented of. You need his grace and forgiveness in your life. And maybe you're here and say, Pastor, I just need to get things right with God today. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I, I need Jesus to save me. I need him to forgive me. I need to repent of my sins today. Anyone at all, I thank you for this hand back here. God bless you. I see that. Anyone else? You say, that's, that's me. Another one back there. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Before we pray, anyone else? Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want us to pray loud enough where we can hear it with our own ears, every voice lifted together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for all my sins. I repent of those sins, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a praise for those coming into relationship with Christ. I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff, go ahead and get in place. We're going to open up these altars. If you need prayer for anything at all, anything at all, we're here to pray with you and for you during this last song. We love you. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today.
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.